The following is a hoop ball presentation. Yo, yo, yo. Hey, hi, hello, and welcome to NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. My name is Corbin Ford. You can follow me at CorbinNBA, and please, 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 please do, because I desperately need those followers. <laughs> I wish I were joking. How's it going, y'all? By the time you hear this, Monday will be in the books, and that's a very good feeling as we are all collectively one day closer to Friday. I don't even realize why Friday is that big a deal, especially for those of us who work on the weekends, but it's like the pinnacle of our weekly success, or most people's, myself included, so hooray for that. All right, so new segment time, y'all. <laughs> I'm going to call it B-Day Buds, and as I said about the segments yesterday, we're still figuring this out. It's all pending. It's all being worked out, but B-Day Buds just feels right right now. It just feels different, so I'm going to go with that. B-Day Buds essentially is where I'll give a shout-out to someone in the NBA whose birthday falls on that date and maybe share either a brief overview of their career, some random tidbit of how I thought of that player, or both. We'll, we'll figure it out. We have three players today, so I figured that was a great test run. I'm recording this on March 2nd, and those players are Dexter Pittman, Jonas Drebko, and Jason Smith. Going to start with Dexter Pittman, who is now 32 years old. He played 50 games spread out over four seasons with the Miami Heat, the Memphis Grizzlies, and the Atlanta Hawks, with career averages of just over two points and a rebound per game, so really productive stuff. Um, I really only remember him for like two things. One. He laid out a mean flagrant on Lance Stevenson back in Game 4 of the 2012 Eastern Conference Semifinals. And full disclosure, I only remember it because the Heat were up almost 40 points with less than 20 seconds left in the game. And like, even back then, I assumed that Pittman was trying to send a message. But it's garbage time, my guy. <laughs> and you barely playing as is. So, in my opinion, make the most of your minutes. It just seems simple to me. Also, the timing seemed off. What are you doing? Oh yeah, take that one home with your 20 seconds left. He just randomly hit the dude. I, I, I'm lost. But, I don't know. That is Dexter to me. I, I just went, oh, Dexter. That's all you can do. One last thing on Dexter Pittman. If you roll with him in 2K, and I'm pretty sure you can only find him in 2K12, his overall is horrible. Like, he was not great, ladies and gentlemen. But, he is a cheap center who can take up space. He can inhale some rebounds. He has a basic decent dunk package. That's if you're doing, like, classic association mode or something. Maybe that's just me. I'm the only one still rocking 2K12 then, but not that. Serviceable. Him and uh, Daniel Orton. Shout out to Daniel Orton if y'all remember him. All right, that's enough 2K uh, retro talk. That was just for the retro heads out there who can connect with me. If y'all feeling me on it, shout out to y'all. All right, so on to the next one. Jonas Drebko, who is 33 years old. Drebko most recently played last year with the Warriors. Holds an average of 6 points and 4 rebounds a game, shooting 45% from the field and 36% from 3 over his career. Nothing too much to add on him aside from being a decent stretch 4, but here's what I thought was interesting. His face, to me, was just annoying. Have you ever run into a person that you look at and you don't know why? They just bug you. Their face just, it just annoys you. I can't even explain it. I, I, I don't know why. I, I can't contextualize it there's really no use asking me to explain it it kind of just is what it is but every time i saw him come off the bench or start i just go oh, jonas jerebko like it's weird but it's true he just had an annoying face to me anyway he never averaged double figures in any season of his career up to now um he's not in nba right now but you know who knows but eight of his 11 seasons he did shoot better than 35 percent from three so there's a fun fact for you 
just goes to show you, I can find a fun fact for even Jonas Drebko. All right, last but not least is Jason Smith, the old man of the group here at age 34. Wow, even went chronologically as far as age, 32, 33, 34. Wow, okay, look at that. Look at me. Since being drafted in 2007, Smith played with the 76ers, the Hornets, the Magic, the Wizards, the Bucks, and the Pelicans. So, got both of those New Orleans franchises there. Slowly attempting to turn himself into more of a prototypical um, stretch forward as he aged. He had mixed results, in my opinion, on that front. But he had a decent mid-range game. He could definitely shoot that mid-range J. Uh, was kind of underwhelming on the boards, but decent power forward. My notable thoughts for him, the first was his nasty foul on Blake Griffin back in 2014. That was something out of a football movie. It was like a, a cross between a forearm shiver and like a double shove. It was weird. I mean, everyone was going for Blake Griffin back then. So, actually, I don't even think it was 2014. I want to say it was 2012. Now, I'm going to go, my God, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm in 2014 there. Look that up. But my second thought was about his dancing. Yes, Jason Smith and his dancing. I came across a YouTube video of Jason a while back doing pregame dances, and the guy has more moves than me, which isn't saying a whole lot because I really have base, basically next to none um, when it comes to dance moves and, how, and where they are concerned. But, like, that's still pretty impressive to me. I look at Jason Smith, and he's the last person that I would think, oh, yeah, you know, he got the moves, but he did. He definitely did. So, shout out to him for that, and that's my fun fact for him. And that will conclude the Birthday Bud segment. Again, name pending. Bear with me. We're working on it, y'all. We are working on it. All right, also, quick uh, little editor's note on uh, Jason Smith and that bounty hunter foul on Blake Griffin. That was 2012. I'm always going to aim for accuracy here, y'all. 2012 is when that happened. And that makes sense. That was the year a lot of people were kind of going for Blake. Poor Blake. Can't catch a break. Alright, so before I get to the meat of the show, I do want to wreck you over to my bookie. Friends, ladies, gentlemen, all y'all, please remember, when you wager, if you do, I'm not the guy for that. Not really good with it, but wager with mybookie.ag. A proud partner of all Hoopball podcasts, including this one. Use promo code TODAY when signing up to get a 50% deposit match. 50%, pretty good. Promo code today, as in the show, NBA Today. Today being March 3rd. Well, that's when you listen to it today for me being March 2nd. Point is, I've said today like five times at this point. So, promo code today to get 50% on that deposit. MyBookie.ag. Bet, win, get paid. All right. So, I want to propose a question. What is an MVP? I know, I know. It's simple. Most valuable player, of course, right? Well, yes, but what does that mean? Most valuable to a team that will be nowhere without them? The best player with the best numbers on the best team in any given year? Also, that's a lot of best. And if that second option is true, then shouldn't we call it the most best player? (laughs) Does that even make sense? (laughs) There's just too many questions. (laughs) I'm just saying. I mean, it's so hard to figure out the whole MVP um topic and and have a decent argument with that and throwing numbers and narratives and and all sorts of uh just random denominations for what constitutes the most valuable player in the nba it's a decisive it's a divisive topic among nba fans the last time i truly truly cared about the award and voting was back in 2017 and that was back when it was really a four-person race with russell westbrook james harden Kawhi leonard and lebron james But, like, really, it was a three-man race between Russell Westbrook, James Harden, and Kawhi Leonard. I was on Team Westbrook. I am on Team Westbrook now. That hasn't changed. That will not change. I thought he checked the narrative box. I thought he checked the stats box. And I thought he checked the valuable box. And 
Speaking of boxes, here are the four boxes I think a potential MVP should check off. Checking off three is fine. Checking off two is iffy. And if you only check off one, you're not even in consideration for me. Simple as that. All right, so these are the four. First, narrative, story. All right, you got a team going through a whole lot of turmoil, but one person is leading the way and setting the charge and keep them going. Boom. There's some beef with another player, and they're both competing. Maybe two teammates were playing together, and they separated, and both were playing really well on their own established team, and they're leading to th- their teams to the top. There's a narrative there, there's a storyline. I mean, well, come on now, we're all kind of into that. Boom. Second, stats. Simple. You know, you put up 45 points a game with 17 rebounds and 12 assists. Like, stats. Those are monster numbers. Even now in this day and age where numbers are thrown around rather baselessly, and, you know, can be hastily slapped together to put some argument together. Uh, my favorite is actually one that I have uh, on my Twitter. And it is when you kind of get those, whoever had the most points, most rebounds, most assists, while just coming off of eating a two for six at Burger King at 5 p.m. with 30% from three. Those that are just thrown together, like, one, they make me laugh because they're hilarious, but two, like, I think we ruined the spirit of the actual statistic and what value that holds. But basically, you know, at a, at a at a set level, stats are important. Like, I think we can all agree on that and, and what they mean. But also, uh, I'm just going to read the one I have because I love this one. This made me laugh and always makes me chuckle when I read it. It was players with 800 games to average 13.5 points, 5.9 rebounds, 1.4 steals, 49% from the field, and 30% from three. And you get such luminaries as Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, and Thaddeus Young. <laughs> and like, like, that's what I mean. If we have to get down to like the percentage point of the points and assists and rebounds and and this like come on i think that's a lot but anyway that's just my take on that stats that's the second box third box team success top seed best team in the league etc they went off on 25 straight uh road wins that's notable i mean team success is is pretty cut and dry i don't think there's really too many more ways to get that and then last is valuableness and yeah i'm kind of just throwing that out there and that's a spotty one but think Russell Westbrook in 2017, think James Harden last year, think LeBron every year since 2006 in my opinion, Uh, a player who is valuable to their team in a way that, hey, I lead you to a winning record by myself, and without them, we're we're basically sub-500. Trey Young is very valuable to the Atlanta Hawks, but with Trey Young playing, the Hawks aren't great, and without Trey Young playing, they're not even watchable, so Yes, he's very valuable, but that valuableness, that, that quality that you need, that narr- that box, not narrative, but that box needs to be checked for the MVP. And I, I, I would not put Trey Young in the MVP, and, and neither would any uh, NBA fan who's not a Trey Young stan or a really diehard Atlanta Hawks fan. It's just not there. But I would say he's the most valuable player for the Atlanta Hawks team. Any team MVPs, I'm okay with that, but that's not the larger NBA MVP. It just isn't. So here's my example. Taking those four boxes, narrative, stats, team success, and valuableness. I mentioned being Team Westbrook in 2017, right? Narrative, totally there. Kevin Durant had just slithered away to join a 73-19, left Westbrook in the weeds with a team that wasn't exactly suited to his strengths. Athletic, yes, that's great. Uh, Defensively minded, awesome. But, you know, ideally with Russell Westbrook, you want a a team, uh, you know, with shooters, give him some space. Mind you, the Thunder didn't do that for 
the entirety of Westbrook's uh, run, neither Kevin Durant, but I'm just saying, it was really kind of built more to where Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant left, now it's Russell Westbrook, and all these ancillary pieces, how does that work? Narrative, boom. What would a Westbrook's revenge tour look like? That was the narrative. Stats? Come on, y'all. 31.6 points, 10.7 rebounds, 10.4 assists to contest. He was the first player since Oscar Robertson to average a triple-double for a full season, moved into fourth place on the all-time triple-double list while doing that. The man even changed how we thought of triple-doubles. He continues to change how we think of triple-doubles. I'm just saying. He also led the league in scoring, dominated the regular season just in sheer moments of oh-my-goodness plays, and then capped off the season with his third 50-point triple-double in the final game of the season, scoring 18 of those 50 points in the last five minutes of the game, including a 36-foot game-winning buzzer-beater to cement a 14-point comeback against a Nuggets team that was desperate for a win. I mean, come on. I dropped the mic if it hadn't been like three years since this document. But boom, that's an argument in a nutshell. That is an MVP argument in a nutshell. Tick, 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 boom. Just saying. Now, people can poke holes in the argument. They could cite the Thunder's pretty run-of-the-mill record. They went 47-35, which was good for six in the West. They could cite the fact that Harden, James, and Leonard had deserving seasons. And guess what? That's cool. I even agree with you to a certain extent. But guess what? It's my show. So I rest my case. But I went through all of this to illustrate just how fickle and volatile the NBA MVP awards race can be. Which brings me to now. We have an MVP race, quote-unquote, between Giannis Antetokounmpo, Antetokounmpo, ooh, I butchered that way too fast, Giannis Antetokounmpo and LeBron James. That's the race we have. But do we really have it? Let me start by making the case for LBJ. At 35 years old, in year 17, one year removed from the worst injuries had to do with his career, He's led the Lakers to the number one seed in a tight Western Conference by averaging 25 points a game, 7.8 rebounds, and 10.6 assists, leading the league in assists, by the way. Still dominant when he needs to be, while using his renewed defensive prowess and leadership in keeping a winning Lakers team almost completely drama-free in a pretty decent Western Conference. I already mentioned that. I just had to say it again. The Lakers right now would be the 2019 Pelicans without LeBron. That checks off all the four narrative, the, no narrative, that checks off all the four MVP boxes I said. Narrative stats, team success, and valuableness. Boom. But to Giannis? No. Not even close. I decided to pull poor 36 stats for him because with the way the Bucks take care of business, he really doesn't play crazy minutes. But peep these numbers. And also, shout out to Shane Young. This is where I pulled it. He did a great article uh, comparing Giannis and his season right now to the flame-throwing, world-destroying 2016 season that Steph Curry had. But points per 36 minutes, Giannis is having 34.9, 16 rebounds per 36, 6.8 assists, with a true shooting percentage of 61.3, a usage of 37.5. That's that's insane. And an on-court net rating of plus 17. It's ridiculously crazy. On offense, Giannis is an unstoppable force. On defense, he is an immovable object. Able to switch between guards, forwards, the center, the concession folks, you name it, he can defend them. What's crazy is that with all the usage he holds offensively, he still has to be top three in your Defensive Player of the Year rankings. I mean, personally, I have Anthony Davis first at the moment, but still, I'm, I'm just making the case here. I may not like the way the man talks trash and then tries to stealth walk that back as he did with uh, Harden this past week, but there is no way I can deny his impact on the basketball floor. Giannis should be in unanimous MVP, plain and simple. All right, but listen, all this MVP talk had me wanting to hop into the b-ball time machine. New segment, already called it, B-Ball Time Machine. Name pending. <laughs> it's a tentative new segment. But this was an idea I had, just thinking about this on Twitter. And, oh, is it a race? LeBron James is playing so well. You know, 
Giannis should be unanimous. Look at the Bucks' record without him. They are crushing everyone. Yada, yada, yada. Back and forth. Bitter arguments between, yes, it should be something that's a race. No, it should not be a race. All of that led me to think, what are the top five NBA MVP snubs? I looked at it, thought about it, did a little bit of research, and then thought of my own. Kind of put them all together. Got my top five. So, here they are. Number five, Derrick Rose over LeBron James. All right, so... LeBron finished third, but was better than Derrick Rose in almost every single statistical category, except assists, except assists, which he missed out on by 0.7. So, really? Mm. He was first in the league in PER with a 27.3 rating. Uh, Rose finished ninth in that category. While Rose was actually closer in stats to Russell Westbrook that year, who, <laughs> my man's did not sniff MVP that year, okay? I'm just saying, wasn't anywhere close. Now, Rose did check the narrative box. The hometown kid leads local team to greatness. At least the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. Great. And that also checks the team success box. Boom. But to be honest, as much as I hate to say it, LeBron James got robbed that year. Now, to, to be fair, he was a villain that year. So, you know, he just made that controversial decision where, again, I feel like we have to point out that it wasn't the decision itself. That was the problem. It was just the self-gloating, uh, ESPN TV special where we waited I don't even know how long for him to make the decision to take his talents to South Beach like I take my talents to Burger King for dinner uh I don't know <laughs> like that is what people didn't like but no he was he was a villain that I get it Derrick Rose wasn't only a, a good story his team was playing well and it was it was it all came together for him in that way but like numbers wise come on and in the playoffs LeBron played the smackdown on him the, the heat ran a rough shot all over the Bulls there so it's another one of those, and the first of a few in my top five MVP snubs, where the person named MVP and the person who should have been named MVP meet up later, and the one who shouldn't have been, you know, named MVP finally gets like shown actual uh, real life in front of you proof why that should not have been the case. So there you go. Number four, Michael Jordan in 1993. Now Michael Jordan was a snub, to be fair. Charles Barkley won it and had his best statistical season of his career you know he had just made that trade to the Suns they were playing really well they made it to the NBA Finals for just the second time since 1976 that was great there was nothing wrong with the way Charles Barkley played he was rejuvenated after having dragged several bad 76ers teams to the playoffs or to um, any sense of uh, respectability but Michael Jordan was a beast back then and I don't think that or, let's just say this it was one of those stats where you one of those mvps we look back and okay the, the numbers don't lie in the sense that charles barkley put up uh, just enough of a a year that you go okay great that was a solid year he definitely put himself up with a good narrative you know new team lead them all the way over the hump they made the trade for charles barkley the Suns did thinking that that would be the move to make them uh reach the finals and Lo and behold, it paid off. But look at these numbers by Michael Jordan. 33 points a game, 7 rebounds, 6 assists, 50% from the field, 221 steals. That led the league. First team all defense, 57 wins. He's one of the most destructive defensive players ever. He was not only scoring at will, but he was stopping your best player from scoring. Uh, best perimeter player, at least. I mean, it, it, it shouldn't even been that hard. Michael Jordan should have won it. I get it, though. Maybe there had been some fatigue. You know, Michael Jordan was already the greatest at that point. Uh, well on his way on a 3 P. You know, but the, come on. Also, by the way, the Suns and, and, and Bulls end up meeting. 
in the 93 finals. And while Barkley had his moments, uh, Jordan got three-peat. Definitely uh, won the series going away, uh, aside from maybe two close games. And by the time those games happened, the Suns had already given up two. So Michael Jordan definitively uh, showed why he should have been MVP in that NBA Finals uh, matchup, in my opinion. So that's number four. Number three, Shaq. I mean, Shaq was, in my opinion, and in most people's as well, uh, he was left out on two. Uh, one in 2005, where he lost to Steve Nash. He put up monster numbers. I think he had a double-double, 22 points, 10 rebounds, two assists, two blocks, 6% from the field. He did great. Uh, but Nash, while putting up 15 points and 11 assists, was just, you know, he led a resurgent Suns team. Again, players getting either traded or signing with the Suns, coming off of a down-to-horrible year, leading them to respectability and, and, and modest playoff success. Boom, MVP, at least back in 93 and also in 2005. But the one I want to focus on is the 2001 MVP voting, Shaq plays third, but he led the Lakers in that year to their second NBA championship. He had 28 points a game, 12 rebounds, three assists, two blocks, third in the league in both points a game per game and rebounds per game, second in blocks per game. We saw how dominant that team was in the playoffs. I mean, they're one of the greatest playoff teams of all time, if not the greatest playoff team of all time. Uh, there's definitely a Warriors team somewhere in there, but you get what I'm trying to say. But all of that. Also, leading the league in PER with a rating of over 30, which is just monstrous. Uh, I didn't mention this earlier. PER, for those who aren't aware, player efficiency rating. Uh, invented by John Hollinger. Basically, the average player would be at 15. So if you have a rating of over 30, you're over doubling the production of an average player uh, or a player efficiency rating. So, boom. But anyways, going back to what I was talking about here. While Shaq did all of that, Allen Iverson won. Love Allen Iverson. Allen Iverson was a great player. Obviously a Hall of Famer, did a lot for the culture, the NBA, did a lot for the 76ers, led them to the finals that year. He won the MVP award. But here's the problem. He shot 42% from the field, which isn't great at all. I mean, Allen Iverson as a player, though, that was kind of his thing. He was a gunner, low efficiency as far as shot making is concerned. But, you know, he was on a team that was surrounded by defensive players. You had George Lynch. You had uh, Eric Snow. You had Jermaine Jones. Dikembe Mutombo. You had these guys that they relied on him to score. And fill it up is what Allen Iverson did. And the numbers look good. 31 points, 4.5 assists, 3 rebounds, 2 steals. I mean, <laughs> the dude shot pretty rough. Like I said, 40% from field, 32% from 3. But he led a team that went 56-26 and 26 to the NBA Finals. You know, MVP award came to him. I just think with as dominant as Shaq was that year, and he had a couple years where he was monstrous, that one should have been for him. Which, yeah, maybe that means Allen Iverson doesn't get one. That's sad, but, I mean, it is what it is, kind of, right? That's how the cookie crumbles sometimes. Just saying. Number two, Chris Paul in 2008. Now, this hurts me because I'm, like I said, Lakers fan. Kobe Bryant won it. Uh... In my opinion, I, I didn't mark this one down as honorable mention. Kobe should have won in 2006, easily, uh, to me. Led the league in scoring, 35 points, 5 rebounds, 4.5 assists. Was on the NBA's all-defensive first team, in addition to the NBA first team um, all-NBA. Lost to Nash, who, you know, 18 points, 10 assists, solid. Couldn't stick me defensively. <laughs> I mean, Kobe definitely proved that he could do it on both ends. Scored 81 points in a single game that year. I'm just saying it was obvious. The only other runner-up, also aside from uh, 
the 2006 season was the 2007 season where Kobe could have uh, won it again, uh, but he finished third behind Nowitzki and Nash. Uh, Nash, again, solid numbers, but at this point, okay, we've been through this twice. Nowitzki put up, you know, 25 and 9 rebounds uh, and led his team to a first-round exit <laughs> to the number 8 seed. So, you know, that's that's one of the more widely uh, <laughs> uh, teased MVPs in recent memory. But back to my original one, 2008, Chris Paul. Chris Paul was 22 back then, having a career year, averaged 21 points, 11 assists, 4 rebounds, and two just over 2.5 steals. This is his third season in the NBA. He joined John Stockton as the only players to ever average over 11 assists with less than three turnovers. And he had the Hornets to a second-place finish in the Western Conference standings. And let's be real. You had a fun team in New Orleans that year. Chris Paul, David West, Tyson Chandler, Peja Stojakovic, Morris Peterson, Bonzi Wells, and Bobby Jackson. But without Chris Paul, I mean, that's a middling Western Conference team. They're definitely not second. Let's just totally be real about that. Just saying. David West, solid enough player. Peja, Morris Peterson were already 30 at that point. Bobby Jackson, wrong side of it. Tyson Chandler, you know, athletic big man, but wasn't doing that. And David West, really good, but, you know, he definitely was someone who, like everyone on the Hornets team, fed off of the playmaking and shot creation that Chris Paul was able to provide, along with leadership, defensive ability. I mean, he definitely should have won it. But I think, this is my opinion, Kobe had already been, you know, looked over several times up to this point that said, you know what, Kobe's put up good stats, solid numbers, we're going to give him this one. I mean, let's not get confused. Bryant definitely did his thing. 28 points a game, 6 rebounds, 5 assists and a steal and a half, just over that. But, I don't know. Again, narrative, boom. I mean, the narrative for Kobe that year was he hadn't won it before? I don't know. The numbers definitely show that. Team success, you know, Lakers made it to the finals. Lost to the Celtics in pretty sad fashion. Uh, but aside from that, Chris Paul knocks all of that and definitely should have had himself an MVP back then. All right, so my number one. Number one MVP snub. Charles Barkley in 1990. Now listen, the person who ended up winning this, Magic Johnson, again, Lakers fan. I'm not mad at it. It is what it is. He got that MVP. He put up solid numbers. But let me just run through, you know, the three plays. It was really, in my opinion, a two-man race. There were three. You had Magic Johnson, who ended up winning the thing. You had Michael Jordan. You know, he was already playing very solid at that point. Uh, I think it was, what, averaging 34 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists, 53% from the field. Really great numbers. But Charles Barkley, to me, had it. 25 points, 12 rebounds. Four assists, just under two steals a game, 60% from the field. Talking about a six foot five power forward, y'all. 79 games. Played over 3,000 minutes. Dragged. Listen. <laughs> he dragged a team whose best players were Johnny Dawkins, no disrespect to any of these guys, Rick Mahorn, Hersey Hawkins, and Mike Jabinski to 53 wins. 53. That's pretty solid. Led them in the, to the second round of the playoffs. During the playoffs, averaged 25 points, 11 rebounds, 6 assists on 54% shooting from the field. Again, really good as one of the main focal points of that Philadelphia offense. Just entirely. Hersey Hawkins is a good shooter. Mike Jaminski had a good mid-range jump shot. Uh, Rick Mahorn could do some things down low. Johnny Dawkins, Dawkins was a great penetrator or a decent enough one back then. But come on now. I'm just saying. And mind you. I'm telling you this not from experience. I was not even thought of back in 1990. But I did watch a lot of games, okay? 
<laughs> read some books on this. <laughs> I feel I'm equipped to make this my number one with some decent context and a good enough uh, defending of this. Magic one, despite only averaging 22 points a game, 12 rebounds, or, or yeah, 12 rebounds, 7 assists. He played 79 games, 63 wins. His best four players are Va- Vladi Divac, James Worthy, Byron Scott, AC Green. Mind you, that that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Also, my bad, flip-flops. It was 22 points, 7 rebounds, 12 assists. <laughs> I'm just saying, Matt Johnson was racking up the assists. But to be fair, that four right there, if you're going to compare James Worthy, Byron Scott, AC Green, and, and Vladi Divac to Johnny Dawkins, Rick Mahorn, Hersey Hawkins, and Mike Dominski, come on now. Come on now. Just saying. He, too, led his team to the second round of the playoffs, where he averaged 25 points, 6 rebounds, and 13 assists, just under 50% from the field. I will say one good thing that came out of Matt Johnson's MVP that year, he really embraced the three-point shot. He was not really a three-point shooter up to that point. And then all of a sudden, he comes out with over 103. So it was like, boom, okay. New dimension in this game, check. The narrative, how is he going to play without uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who had just retired after the 1989 finals run, check. Third one, how is he going to come back after um, um, pulling that hamstring and not being able to play after game one of the NBA finals against the Pistons that past year, 1989, check. You know, he had the, the requisite boxes checked to be considered for MVP. But if we're being completely honest, Charles Barkley was robbed. He wins the Russell Westbrook MVP award to me, where yes, I get it. You may not have had the best team success. There was other people who had better teams than you did. But at the same time, you put up numbers that were bomb. You led a team that would have been nothing without you, or next to nothing, to respectability and, and, and moderately um, good success in the playoffs. Now, I don't think I at all solved the MVP debate or anything, but I just threw my hat into the ring with five MVP snubs. That's going to close out the b-ball time machine segment <laughs> because uh, that's where I'm at there, but hopefully I give you guys something to think about. You know, it's such an interesting topic, and like most NBA topics that we debate about on Twitter, with your friends, wherever the case may be, forums, there's no clear answer. I'm going just to say here that this Giannis Atentacumpo MVP uh, campaign, there should be no doubt. The dude's barely making over 30 minutes a game because he's blowing out the competition. He's slapping together 40 and 20s and 25 and 15s and 15, 10, and 12 and all sorts of statistical um, combinations you can imagine. It, it's crazy. You cannot stop him. And as much as I hate to say it because I am a LeBron stan, right now it's not even close. Now, if we're going to take the MVP race and just say most valuable in general, I would say it's been LeBron the past... Uh, it gets fishy there. I would say it's been LeBron from like 2011 to 2016. Then I would have given it to Steph Curry from 2016 to 2018. And then I give it back to LeBron from 18 to now. Uh, I mean, just in how he can just single-handedly, especially in the Eastern Conference with the Cavs, bring you to the NBA Finals. Just book that ticket. Just know you will be playing basketball in June. Just that's a given. So for that... You know, that that's the most valuable. But hopefully those four boxes, which, you know, I boiled down and are not at all original, narrative stats, team success, and valuableness, can be used to kind of run a player by if we have any thoughts of, oh, wow, Jimmy Butler's put together a really good stretch here in uh, early March. Do you think he's playing MVP worthy? Check, check, and, and, no. You know, simple. All right, so before we uh, lead off here and close out for today, I do got one more segment. It's called What I'm Watching. 
which is very simple, what I'll be watching. Uh, nothing too much to it. NBA season, guess what that'll be? It'll be NBA games, maybe the occasional documentary. Um, I'm definitely watching that Bulls documentary in June. During the offseason, it'll be the WNBA and the Big Three and Summer League. You know, those are, are things that I'll be watching. But I'm, I'm trying to, as you can see, grow my segment bag a little bit. I want to get a bag that's bigger than Giannis's in terms of uh, having a... <laughs> that was a bad joke. But having a go-to uh, a bag there um, as far as a rich uh, assortment of segments that I could toss out at will that will kind of develop here over the show. So what I'm watching, eh, to, to, by the time we listen to this, 76 vs. Lakers is going to be a really good one. That'll be on TNT. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to see how that goes. Lakers and playing really well. You know, had a, had a little letdown game to the Grizzlies. Came back in a very fun one with the Pelicans. 76ers, I'm looking forward to seeing how Shake Milton comes back off of that career-high performance with 39 points against the Clippers. Let's see what he can do against the other LA team. That should be interesting. Another game I'll be watching is Clippers-Thunder. Clippers have been scrappy. I mean, the Thunder have been scrappy. The Clippers have just been really well. Um, more importantly, the Clippers are healthy. So seeing that matchup would be really cool. Hopefully, the Thunder, uh, you know, don't roll over like they did against the Bucks. Although, I don't even want to say the, the Thunder rolled over. They just got overwhelmed straight up. But hopefully, it doesn't happen again. And you know what? A fun game. Wizards and Kings. Yeah. Kings are somehow just outside the playoff bubble. They're one step closer to 500. And with each game they win, Harrison Barnes can get closer to a razor. Because he did say he would not shave until he was at, his team was at 500. And boy, <laughs> he looking hairy there. So, hopefully, they can... Uh, Get that man a clipper, you know? So we'll see what happens. Uh, but that'll do it here for uh, NBA Today. I'm your host, Corbin Ford. As always, follow me at Corbin NBA. Please do. I'd appreciate it. I appreciate you all. Uh, this is a HoopBall presentation. Definitely make sure to follow them at HoopBall Tweets. They have a lovely assortment of podcasts and articles and resources to use you have hoopball pelicans kings grizzlies hoopball gaming hoopball clippers podcast of which i'm happy to be co-host hoopball blazers hoopball lakers hoopball nets you have the box score breakdown which breaks down every game of the night before from a fantasy fantasy perspective really cool really insightful have really great fantasy experts here on hoopball so definitely make sure to check that out and uh, that'll do it y'all take care thank you and i'll talk to you real soon all right y'all This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.